In order to understand more about Chris Hodges and why he did what he did, I feel it is important to get to know Chris and the world he lived in. Chris appeared to be a typical American young man in many respects. He lived in a typical nuclear family, where five generations of the Hodges family were regular participants in Chris's life. He regularly attended Leon High School and Tallahassee's First Baptist Church. He was an Eagle Scout and a star high school athlete. He excelled in every activity he took part in and was well-liked by family, friends, teachers, and other children and adults who he came in contact with. But Chris Hodges had a darker side that few around him knew about. He listened to morbid music obsessively and constantly watched depressing and violent movies. He read dark and savage literature and wrote quite a bit of the same. Chris was obsessed, it seemed, with death and anything related to death. Most of the people around Chris were unaware of these dark obsessions. In recent years, his brother, Robert Jr., fell on hard times as well. He is currently a participant in the Witness Relocation Program, and while you already know his name, his voice is masked here to protect his current whereabouts. Our parents were somewhat aware of Chris's ghoulish tastes. They blew it all off as typical teenager stuff. They never said anything to him? Sometimes. They would say something about him being into perverse stuff, but they never followed up. They weren't serious about it. Why not? They weren't concerned because he appeared to be so well-adjusted in all the other stuff he did. They assumed everything was okay. In retrospect, it appears that things were not okay with Chris, nor with his inclination towards the morbid. I have concluded that his involvement in such sinister hobbies was a cry for help. Chris was trying to make the people around him aware that he was in some sort of trouble, that he was suffering from an anguish that the good side of his life could not alleviate. I think Chris began to look toward death-related books and movies and music as a prelude to his own death, and subconsciously, they were a cry for help. A cry that no one answered. As with most teenagers, the center of Chris Hodges' universe was his bedroom. A normal teenage bedroom in a normal American home. Norma Hodges described Chris's home. Marion Senior's house is your typical nice Tallahassee home. Standard three-bedroom place, big enough to have a den and a two-car garage. They had a large backyard that those boys used to love. One of those big backyard swimming pools that I would have never left those boys alone with. After Mary and Robert divorced, Robert left the house and moved into an apartment. Mary won the house in the divorce settlement and lives there with her boyfriend, Albert Poindexter. Robert Jr. often stayed in his old room before he went into the witness relocation program. Chris's room remains uninhabited and contains the same decorations and possessions that were always there. Mary decided to keep the room as a shrine to her beloved son and, except for the occasional dusting, hasn't done anything to it since he died. From all the reporters who badgered and beleaguered the Hodges family in the wake of Chris's suicide, I alone was chosen to spend time in Chris's room. Mary Hodges allowed me to spend time looking at her son's possessions in order to help her understand who Chris was and why he did the things he did and said the things he said. The result of that trust and good faith is this podcast. At first glance, Chris Hodges' bedroom appears to be filled with typical teenage pursuits. Books, magazines, movies, games, and music. Only upon further inspection does one realize that a pattern emerges. 
I spent more than a dozen hours scouring over Chris's bedroom in order to get to know the talented young man. Among his belongings, I found many things that would be banned from most teenage households. When one first enters the room, what jumps out at you is that every inch of every wall in the ceiling is covered. Pictures and posters completely camouflage the room's natural colors. It is in fact impossible to tell what color the walls are. Even the room's only window is obscured by Chris's decorations. Disturbing images of or representing Chris's favorite bands leap off the walls. Nirvana, Marilyn Manson, Nine Inch Nails, Alien Sex Fiend, Slayer, Metallica. Various pictures and scenes from horror and war movies grace the room as well. Some of graphic covers and pictures from the magazine Fangoria. A few television shows such as The X-Files and Dark Shadows also make appearances in the room. The room's centerpiece is a giant Twin Peaks poster commanding the wall above the head of Chris's queen-sized bed. The poster features a road sign that reads, Welcome to Twin Peaks, population 51,201. Across the poster, Chris scrawled in black ink the phrase, I killed Laura Palmer. Chris Hodges had quite a few possessions for someone so young. He particularly collected books and cassette tapes and he was very specific about what he collected. He only collected paperback books, and he only collected cassette tapes. No hardback books and no compact discs. Chris also had a deep interest in reading. According to his parents, he often spent time in his room reading while he listened to music with headphones on. His collection includes a broad range of works, both fiction and non-fiction, classic and contemporary, more than 200 books sit on the two bookshelves that run the length of the wall closest to the entrance to the room. Many of the books are tattered and used copies of mass market paperbacks. The fiction works in Chris's collection are mainly concerned with two things. Horror and drugs. They're novels by Stephen King, Clive Barker, Peter Straub, Edgar Allan Poe, and Dinar Kuntz. They're books by Jack Kerouac, Ken Kesey, Hunter S. Thompson, and William Burroughs. They're comics from Mad Magazine and R. Crumb. The nonfiction that sits upon Chris's shelves includes dozens upon dozens of books relating to vampires, the occult, aliens, serial killers, and other stuff in a similar vein. The predominant color of the book covers in Chris's room is black with red text. Similarly, Chris has a somewhat sizable movie collection that he kept on a rack inside of his closet door. Most of the movies are horror flicks, particularly from series such as George Romero's Dead Movies, the Evil Dead series, the Friday the 13th series, the Halloween movies, The Exorcist, Clive Barker's Hellraiser, and the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Also in his collection are music video collections such as Pink Floyd's The Wall and several episodes of the notorious Faces of Death. Under his bed, Chris kept a large stash of semi-hardcore pornography. Mostly over-the-counter stuff like Penthouse and Hustler. Somewhat in contrast with the rest of the room, none of the pornography was very disturbing or overly graphic. Seems that this is one area where Chris preferred that things be left to the imagination. Chris's wardrobe didn't continue the trend created by the rest of his belongings. In fact, if one hadn't been in Chris's room, they would have no clue as to his darker leanings. Chris dressed well and his clothes consisted of typical American teenager stuff. 
Lots of blue jeans, pullover shirts with labels like Hilfiger and Gap, Nike shoes, and very little variety. After spending time in Chris Hodge's bedroom, I noticed several common themes in the things he owned. First, and most obvious as I have already shown you, Chris liked the darker and more mysterious side of life. He liked things that were taboo, forbidden, and related to death in some manner. He seemed obsessed with death in all its various forms, particularly suicide, which was a common theme among the music, movies, and books he owned. Another common thread among Chris's belongings is that they were void of anything created by anyone other than white males. He didn't read foreign books, other than the British. He didn't listen to female musicians. He didn't watch movies with many black people in them. His favorite actors, directors, authors, and musicians were all white males, without exception. And his room strongly reflected some level of prejudice, hatred, or fear of anything different than his narrow areas of interest. When Chris was younger, he was heavily interested in the Boy Scouts. He joined at the age of 11 and quickly delved into numerous scout activities. I spoke to Chris's former scoutmaster, Ernest Fleming. What level of participation did Chris have in Boy Scouts when you knew him? He was my most active member. He went on all the scout trips, attended all the meetings, became interested in leadership positions, eventually becoming senior patrol leader of Troop 37. I looked up his scouting history. He was the youngest kid to ever reach Eagle Scout in my time. He also won more merit badges than anyone else I ever had. He won the Silver Palm Award for getting 15 merit badges beyond the Eagle Scout rank. He won the Hornaday Award for recycling project that he planned and executed at school. He won the Medal of Merit for helping out a fellow scout who broke his leg back at camp while we were on a major hike. He also won the Den uh, Service Award for time as Troop 37 leader. This kid was a bit of a star in the scouting circle. Chris was the most enthusiastic and dependable scout I had ever seen. He just did everything we wanted the boy to do. I was a little sad when he started getting heavily involved in football and baseball. It meant that he didn't have any time for scouts anymore. Troop 37 keeps a Hall of Fame plaque at the Den House. It was Chris's idea and we ended up making him the first inductee. He was one fine scout and one fine boy. By the time he was 16, Chris had little time left for the scouts. He was a starter on both the football and baseball teams and was involved in many projects at school. His attendance dropped significantly and before he had turned 17, he had stopped participating in the scouts altogether. He was now entirely focused on school activities. I spoke to the school registrar, Judy Foster. Leon High is the oldest high school in Florida. The primary building sits atop a hill that overlooks the football and baseball fields Chris spent so much of his time on. The red brick of Leon High is instantly recognizable citywide and has been attended by many of Tallahassee's most prominent citizens, including the current mayor, Skip Maddox. Every year, Leon High School finishes among the best in the state and nation as far as standardized test scores and national merit scholars. Every year, we win awards and contests in academic, athletic, and extracurricular areas. Leon High School is known as one of the top schools in the South, if not the entire country. Most of Leon High's classrooms are inside the three-story red brick building, with the rest being housed in the band building adjacent to the main building and the gym, which rests at the bottom of the hill that overlooks the baseball and football fields. Each room seats approximately 40 students, and most classes are filled to capacity. With more than 400 students, Leon High is one of the largest in Tallahassee. Chris attended Leon his entire four years in high school. During his senior year, 
His class schedule took him to various places around campus. His first period class was football and consisted of players running through drills and plays. After that, Chris went to the third floor to take Mrs. Obergon's British literature class. That was followed by second floor classes in economics, analytical geometry, and computer literacy. Sixth period was Chris's French 3 class back on the third floor, followed by classical literature on the same floor, also with Mrs. Obergon. Chris's favorite teacher was Mrs. Obergon, and his favorite classes were the classical and British literature classes he took. Chris was particularly interested in mythical works that involved death and danger. He loved it when we read Beowulf. He did an extra credit project on Joseph Campbell's The Power of Myth. What was it like having Chris in class? Chris was one of the most enthusiastic and interested students I've ever had. He was a joy to have in class. He always did his homework. He always read the required readings. And he always had such interesting things to say. What stood out the most about Chris were his writing skills. I always thought he would be a writer someday. And I don't just mean a recreational writer. I really thought Chris had a shot at writing professionally. Chris's other teachers also praised his writing skills, and I must say I concur with them. He had writing skills well above high school level. Miss Jean O'Connor, his 10th grade English teacher, agreed. I wish all my students wrote like Chris. It would make my job a lot easier. But all students aren't like Chris, and all students don't have the demons that Chris did. The demons that made him take his own life. Chris's teachers at Leon High are unanimous in their sadness at his passing. They're also unanimous in their belief that, had Chris not committed suicide, he would have had an impressive future ahead of him, both academically and on the sports fields. Leon High School's football team practices at the on-campus facility known as Gene Cox Field, but our actual games are played at Don Campbell Stadium, where the other local high schools also play. Campbell Stadium is a stone structure that seats about 10,000 people. Around the edge of the playing field at Campbell Stadium and sidelines is a chain-link fence that separates the arena of play from the fans, who sit upon the stone bleachers. Those stone bleachers are echoed on Leon High Campus by a singular set made from the same concrete. Dug into the side of the hill atop which the main campus building sits, the bleachers overlook Cox Field and the school's gymnasium. Further beyond the football field can be seen the baseball and softball diamonds, soccer fields, driver's education course, and the underclass student parking. This area of the school grounds is popularly known as the Bowl. Gene Cox football field itself is quite impressive. Well manicured, mowed, fertilized, painted, and generally well kept. It is a showpiece on how to keep a field. It's better kept than Campbell Stadium is, and the only reason Leon High doesn't play its home games at Cox Field is because it doesn't have enough seating for the large crowds that show up to watch the Lions play. Past the southernmost end zone and adjacent to the gymnasium is the football field house. It is from this location that Coach Michael Lynch and his staff plan and build the Leon High football teams that have been powerhouses since before Chris Hodges came along. But Chris was definitely the main reason behind Leon High's 42-game state record winning streak that began in the second game of Chris's sophomore season. He was also the main reason behind the Lions' three consecutive state championships, which followed on the heels of a loss in the championship game the year before the streak began. Chris was the main reason why Leon High was twice named USA Today's high school national champions. As a freshman, Chris was my second string quarterback, but he saw a lot of action as a receiver and running back. He ran for 432 yards, caught 26 passes, and threw two touchdowns as we went 8-2 and lost in the state finals to Jacksonville Bowls. 
Senior quarterback Brent Waters then graduated, and Chris inherited the starting job as a sophomore. In his first start, Chris stumbled a bit. He threw three interceptions, and we ended up losing by three to a rematch with Bowles. That would be the last loss a team led by Chris Hodges would suffer. We went on to finish the regular season 9-1 and and easily made it to the state finals for yet another game against Bowles. That night, Chris threw four touchdowns and no interceptions as we won the title 34-7. For the season, he threw 4,974 yards and 39 touchdowns. He was named All-State quarterback for the first of three consecutive times. During his junior and senior seasons, Chris was the best athlete in high school football, probably nationwide. Many agreed, and Chris was awarded the high school Heisman in his senior year. In each of his last two seasons, Chris threw for more than 5,900 yards and 50 touchdowns, culminating in a senior season of 7,103 passing yards, 58 touchdowns, and only two interceptions. He also ran for more than 2,000 yards in his high school career. No team seriously challenged our squad in any game during that span. Chris was named the number one quarterback by every major recruiting publication and was a parade All-American. Chris was just about the best player I've ever seen. He was a definite NFL-level player. He probably would have went pro after only a couple of years in college. He would have been one of the first to leave college early. I always thought of that. He was just that good. It's a damn shame. It's a waste of a fine player. Good thing it happened when it did, not early in the year before the season ended. <laughs> Red and white dominate Lions Field, the home of the Leon High School baseball team. Both dugouts are painted white with red trim. The walls of the home dugout proclaim in bright red script, Lions, while the opposing dugout is emblazoned with visitors. Upon the red and white old-fashioned scoreboard beyond the right field fence are the same two words. The chain link fence around the playing field contains one of the largest high school fields in the southern United States. The field itself is immaculate. Red clay from Alabama and perfectly manicured grass in both the infield and outfield. The field is so nice it is also used by the Tallahassee Titans, a double-A professional baseball team. Chris spent much of his spring semester each school year on this field, playing for coach Graham Goltz. Chris helped us out right away. As a freshman, he was the team's fourth starter, going 4-2 four and two and hitting 3-7, mostly as a pinch hitter. As a sophomore, Chris replaced graduated senior Ricky Chambers at first base and moved into the number two spot in the rotation. He hit 405, drove in 55 runs, and went 15-2 as a starter. His junior year was his best, and he was named to the All-State first team after going 18-0 as a starter and hitting 486. Chris also drove in 67 runs in a 28-game season for a new state record. Leon went to the state finals that season, but lost to Miami Senior in the finals. During Chris's senior season, he went 17-3 and and batted 455 as Leon defeated Miami Senior for the state title and finished with a number three national ranking according to Baseball America. Chambers, his former teammate, remembers the first time he saw Chris pitch. I knew he was something special, like me, the second he took the mound. He had an aura about him that said he couldn't be beat, he couldn't lose, and I know a bit about that. For a while, it looked like I was right, as usual, but in the end, 
he did lose. Well, Chris was like a son to me. When he started playing here, I kind of took him under my wing and taught him everything about the game. I don't think I've been that close to too many players through the years. Chris had something special about him, all right. Too bad he did it. I wish he would have come and talked to me. I always wonder what would have happened if I could have talked to him. Maybe I could have helped him. Just maybe. Nagamit. The death of Chris Hodges would put a damper on the end of a great career. Goltz retired after Chris's final season after 33 years as Leon High's baseball coach and four state championships during his run, including one led by Chris Hodges. When he wasn't in class or busy with his other pursuits, Chris spent quite a bit of time in the newsroom of the Lion's Tale, Leon High School's student newspaper. The newsroom is small, but filled with the character of the numerous students who have passed through its storied doors. Dozens of former Lion's Tale writers have gone on to prominent positions with national newspapers and magazines, including Time, Newsweek, The New York Times, and The Philadelphia Inquirer. Many more have gone on to write for the Tallahassee Democrat. Several have been awarded for their work and won. Doug Remy of the Washington Post has won the Pulitzer Prize. Articles by and about these famous alumni dot the walls of the newsroom, which are also covered by various awards the Titanic staff have won. Plaques, certificates, trophies, and numerous announcements and deadlines posted for current staff members' awareness. The room is cluttered, with copies of old issues scattered along each of the room's walls and desks filling up most of the free space. Upon each desk rests a computer, an inbox, a telephone, and various books and papers. Chris was one of the better writers the Lion's Tale had when he was a student at Leon. He averaged three articles per issue, which was the most of any staff member, and as a senior he won the Florida High School Press Association's award for best feature writing. His writing also helped the Titanic win the FHSPA award for best general excellence for newspapers. The Titanic's editor-in-chief, Sally Moore, mourned Chris's passage. Chris was a good writer, and I liked working with him. He didn't give me any trouble and always helped whenever he could. He was a really sweet guy, even though he had the right to be a jerk because he was so talented. He never was. He was always a really nice guy. Sally Moore dedicated her last issue of The Lion's Tale to Chris Hodges. Looking at the world Chris Hodges lived in, one is hard-pressed to understand his decision to commit suicide. Chris had everything going for him. He was an overachiever in both school and play. He set his own goals and achieved them. His parents claimed to have never pressured him in any of his activities, and friends confirmed that Chris was his own motivating force. But he didn't appear to be overly driven, not more so than any other high school achiever. He was loose and friendly and always encouraged those who competed with him or against him. Chris was the consummate nice guy. Nothing in the world around him suggested that he was unhappy. But he was. He most definitely was. I am Jim, Stormy Weathers, and you have been listening to the fourth chapter of All-American, A True Crime Podcast. Professor Rex as Robert Hodges Jr. Safira as Aunt Norma Hodges. Kamikaze as Ernest Fleming. Kristen Milstead as Mrs. Obergon. Layla Rossi as Jean O'Connor. Uh, Michael Nasser playing Michael Lynch. Sean Logue as Graham Goltz. This is Evan Lauderdale as Ricky Chambers. Monica Schneider as Sally Moore. Samara Mizrahi as Judy Foster and co-director. 
Kenneth Quinnell, writer, director, and the character of Jim Stormy Weathers. <laughs>